Hi, this is your host, Corbin. And I'm Alan. And this is your guide for Bernard Rose's Candyman. Before we get into the making of the film, allow me to take you back to 1992 to remember the top movies released that year. They were Reservoir Dogs, Aladdin, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, Batman Returns, Unforgiven, Dracula, Alien 3, Army of Darkness, Malcolm X, Basic Instinct, Wayne's World, The Last of the Mohicans, Sister Act, and A Few Good Men. From that year, we have reviewed Tom and Jerry the movie. Just reviewed that a couple months ago. (laughs) (laughs) We sort of, I gave my thoughts at the very least on Pet Cemetery 2. Um, Go listen to our original review of Pet Cemetery. You'll hear my thoughts there. And we also reviewed M. Night Shyamalan's first film, Praying with Anger. And we have now reviewed all of his films, including his new theatrical film, Old. That review just dropped two weeks ago. Links to those reviews are in the show notes below. If you'd like to reminisce more about the films of 92, then head over to letterbox.com and make sure to follow me and Alan over there. Links to our profiles are below. At the 64th Academy Awards, Best Picture went to The Silence of the Lambs. Which we have reviewed, by the way. We'll definitely link to our review of that Best Picture winner. In 1984, Clive Barker published his first novel called The Books of Blood. It was actually a collection of short stories later split into six volumes. Volume 5 begins with the story The Forbidden, which is the basis for this film. Barker was a playwright and screenwriter and ultimately ventured into directing with the now cult classic Hellraiser, which debuted in 1987. The film was so shocking, critics and audiences couldn't help but take notice of the man Stephen King called the future of horror. Barker was born in Liverpool, England, which is where The Forbidden is set. The story has nothing to do with race, but rather with class differences. Barker got angry letters for stealing the myth of the Candyman from African American culture, When in fact, he actually created the myth of Candyman. He he stole nothing, but that didn't (laughs) stop academia from getting angry nonetheless. While directing his second film, Nightbreed, in 1990, he met English director Bernard Rose. Since they were both shooting movies at Pinewood Studios, Rose was filming Chicago Joe and the Showgirl. They met over lunch and parted ways until a few years later, Rose picked up Books of Blood. While he felt many of the stories would make great films, he wanted to option The Forbidden. Barker decided to executive produce, giving Rose full reign to expand the mythos found in the original story. Outside from the original short story, Rose took the idea of saying Candyman's name in the mirror from the legend of having Bloody Mary appear to you if you say her name 13 times in the dark while facing a mirror. Hmm. When casting began, Rose had to fight with the studio to let him cast a black lead as the villain, or as he puts it, in horror movies, the villain is the hero. Executives weren't sure how audiences were to react to a somewhat romanticized interracial relationship, despite interracial marriage being legal since 1967. This information came from Rose himself, who spoke many times on the commentary about his disdain for America, so his perspective as a non-American is definitely filtered through a heavily biased lens. Take from that what you will, listeners. I'm relaying to you what he said. We don't have any actual proof outside of what he said. So, the studio wanted none other than Eddie Murphy 
to play the titular role. Alan, picture that for a moment. Eddie Murphy as Candyman. That would be really weird. Um, (laughs) That I don't, yeah, I don't know about that one. That would be very distracting, I feel. It would be a very, very different film. I, I, it's hard to imagine. Well, aside from the budget not allowing to meet his salary, Rose wanted someone much more charming, elegant, and fearful. In his mind, he saw Candyman resembling Lon Chaney in The Phantom of the Opera. He wanted Tony Todd, and he was cast in the role. As for the lead female, Rose's wife was set to star until she got pregnant. So it came down to two relative unknowns, Virginia Madsen, and maybe you've heard of her, Alan, Sandra Bullock. I think I may have heard her name a couple of times, yeah. (laughs) At the time, no one knew who Sandra Bullock was, but in an alternate universe, this would have been Eddie Murphy and Sandra Bullock starring opposite each other. Honestly, I want to see that movie. That would be a very different movie than what we end up getting, yeah. Very different, to say the least. Clearly, they went with Madsen, who was discovered by David Lynch eight years prior in his third film, Dune, which we will talk about on October 11th. She was going to play Bernadette. Once Rose's wife left production, she made the call to bring Madsen into the lead role, and Cassie Lemons, fresh off Best Picture winner, The Silence of the Lambs, we have reviewed her before, took Mm -hmm. over the role of Bernadette. Once the film was ready for submission to the MPAA, it was hard to secure an R rating since it kept receiving an NC-17 for how gory it is. This is somewhat ironic considering it was Rose's decision to continually add more blood to the scenes, but later he felt the blood was a detriment to the artistic integrity of the film, making it akin to an exploitation film. But Hmm. how did audiences react? So, audiences did not react well to this movie. Hmm. According to theatergoers straight out of the theater, they gave this film a C+. Ooh. Yikes. That's, uh, for cinema score, it's really low. Yeah. That's not good. It is. It did not do well with audiences straight out of the theater. Over time, I think it did a lot better. Um, currently on Letterboxd, it has a 3.6, which is pretty good, I would yeah, say. that's good. IMDb rating more of a mediocre 6.6, actually. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, nothing to uh, write home about. Um, now it is in the green with Metascore with a 61. It barely makes the threshold of generally positive reviews. Yeah, that's just barely scraping by to get that yellow because underneath the 60 is you're hitting the yellow. Yep. Yeah, so far it looks like all these cores outside of uh, Letterboxd are rather mediocre. And even Letterboxd is somewhat high, but kind of low. It is. The highest one on here really is the Rotten Tomatoes critic score of 75% approval rating. It is not certified mm. fresh, but still, hey, three-fourths of critics approve of this movie. Um, 62% audience. Yeah, that sounds about right to me Uh, for... Rotten Tomatoes to have the biggest score uh, for a movie like this. I can see it. So the film was given a $6 million budget. Pretty low budget. Clive Barker was only given $900,000 for Hellraiser um, a couple years prior. He just wasn't enough of a known quantity. There's not really any big stars in this movie per se. 
So right. this movie opened number four at the box office with mm. five point four million dollars. That's not a, uh, it's not a very good opening weekend. Opening at number four. Hmm. Yeah, that's not looking too good so far. Uh, how much did it gain domestically overall, though? Overall, now, keep in mind, this is actually including the 2020 re-release. I I guess it was re-released in 2020. Um, hmm. It only opened in 1,200 theaters uh, with a full opening of 1,500. Even for the early 90s, that's still not much. Right. Um, overall, domestically, it grows $25.7 million dollars. According to producer Alan Poole on the commentary, the studio, the producers were happy that the $6 million IP turned into almost $26 million. I mean, I guess technically, if you're going for budget, it did gross over four times its budget, but right. that's not um, factoring in marketing costs. So it was a an extremely modest hit. With almost um, no foreign uh, box office mojo tracks it at $3,587 in the foreign markets, which doesn't even seem like anything for a worldwide yeah. total of almost $25.8 million. Okay. So far, this seems to look, and from what we're seeing from the scores and from how much it made in the box office, it looks like it's a rather mediocre event, unfortunately. Uh, with the only outstanding be one being uh, Rotten Tomatoes. And like I mentioned, for a movie like this, that's somewhat of a cult classic at this point. It it feels about right that that Rotten Tomatoes score would be high or higher than everything else. So that's interesting for a movie that, you know, I've heard about here and there and definitely has a following behind it. Uh, everything around it seems to be rather mediocre, unfortunately. I, I mean, it, of course, is. we haven't reviewed it quite yet, but... From what we're seeing from the data, <laughs> seems rather mediocre. Yes, you are correct. It really did gain more of a following on home video years after its release. It really mm -hmm. was just something that kind of came and went as far as theaters go. Audiences that saw it really weren't very impressed with it, didn't really care for it that much. And the critics that saw it did have some good things to say, but it wasn't enough to really put this movie on the map now right. at the end of our review next monday we'll talk about future developments and why the studio wanted to flip out and not flip out they wanted to churn out a whole host of Candyman sequels we'll talk about that at the end of next monday's review but real quick before we go opening weekend like i said not good it came in at number four only 5.4 million dollars it did beat out Walt Disney Studios, believe it or not. Oh, yeah? It beat out the beloved classic Consenting Adults, which no one's ever heard of. Uh, yeah, I don't think I've ever heard of that one. Must have been one of their B movies that just kind of come out every once in a while. Yeah, it was rated R and it looks pretty naughty. Um, so it's it's kind of oh. weird. Disney's behind this. I wonder if they, they actually released it under like Touchstone or something. Um, but probably I would, I would think that they would, cause they <laughs> basically will not release anything over a PG 13 under the Disney label. They'll put it mm. under like touchstone probably. No. So it did. Number one was under siege, which was a Warner brothers movie. If I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. I want to say it's a Jason Seagal movie or Steven Seagal. I don't know. Yeah. 
it's one of those one of those type of action movies um, that had yeah, already sure. been at the box office for two weeks. The Last of the Mohicans mm. was came in at number two, a fantastic film, highly recommended. And Disney's The Mighty Ducks came in at number three, and that had been at oh. the box office for three weeks. Now, Candyman did actually see a little success in its second and third week. It actually jumped up to number three um, until just catering straight into the earth. Did jump up to number three, actually beating out the Mighty Ducks and Consenting Adults. Did beat out Warner Brothers Pure Country and Universal Pictures' Dr. Giggles. And, Mm. of course, that weekend in a very limited release was none other than Quentin Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs. Oh, yeah. All right. Thanks for joining me, Alan. I'll see you next Monday. Sure thing. And thank you, listeners, for coming along with me as I've been your guide to the production and impact of this film. Now that you have your guide to Candyman, make sure to subscribe to the podcast for Alan and I's full review coming next Monday. And tune in the week after as we say farewell to flesh with the 1995 Candyman sequel. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide.